Our uh, series is uh, continuing this morning on how we think about this new year 2020. Um, we're almost through January. Um, it's amazing. Uh, Kristen was saying to me um, just yesterday, she said, January seems like it goes on a long time. It seems like it's January 46th today, you know, because it just keeps going and going. But um, as we begin the year thinking about um, the things that God calls us to do, and we're looking at it from the idea of when we do what it is that God calls us to do, we experience the blessing that he promises out of those things. And this morning, we're dovetailing off of last week's passage um, where we talked about being um, patient with uh, times of persecution and times of difficulty and times of critique. And this morning, we're living into how we think about loving our enemies. And um, all of us have to do that, right? All of us have to learn how to do that. I've, over the course of my life, um, had some learning on what it means to love those who don't um, who I don't get along with or don't um, see eye to eye with or even um, love those who are seem to be antithetical to um, who I am and how I live. Um, one place that that particularly showed up was about maybe, I think we're going on about 15 years ago, when um, my mom and dad began to have the difficulties in their relationship and um, ultimately what happened was my father walked out. Um, when that happened, I was in my early 30s, um, and as kids and as family, we knew and were aware that there had been difficulty for a while, but as many who have, um, you know, my parents at that time um, were in their late 50s, early 60s, and you sort of thought, okay, you know, they're having trouble, but they're going to figure it out. Um, it became abundantly clear that they weren't going to be able to figure out what was going on, the therapy, anything like that that they were a part of wasn't going to work. And um, we also discovered some things about um, things that had gone on and my parents' behavior, my dad specifically, some of his behavior. The net result of all that was um, I hated my dad. I didn't, like, not like him. I hated him. As far as I was concerned, um, the consequence of his actions in the life of his marriage with my mom, in the life of all of three of his kids, my older brother Jonathan, my younger sister Sarah, our families and our grand, their, their grandkids, I hated him. He was bringing consequence into our life that um, made me constantly angry and upset. I'll never forget the time um, I believe Katie was in about third or fourth grade that I got a call from her teacher. And the teacher said, you have to come to the school. Katie is beside herself because kids are almost teasing her about how her grandparents are going to get divorced. And I remember going to the school and being upset with the kids who had said these things to Katie, but way more upset with my father. Because... I'm thinking in my mind, you jerk. There you are 2,000 miles away, and at that point he was living in a very rural area. You're in your own little spot. You're in your own little safe place where you can do whatever it is that you want to do. And here I am in California with a 10-year-old kid who is devastated because of your actions. 
At one point even, Kristen and I had tickets for us to go on a plane, and we were going to go visit my, my dad, and I had a plan. And you know how you say figuratively, I'm going to take my dad behind the barn, and I'm going to show him what's up? Mine wasn't figurative. I was going to go see my dad. And I might have been charged. I was so angry and so upset. God in his wisdom, God be praised. There was a day, it sounds funny, I was at LAX. We were waiting for tickets, but for whatever reason, the paperwork wasn't work, didn't, work, uh, didn't work out. And the Canadian embassy was closed that day. <laughs> I couldn't get into Canada. So we ended up having a nice weekend in Santa Barbara. I couldn't go see my dad. But out of that, it took literally years. And even, even now, I would say that we are a work in progress. There became little moments when although I was angry with my father, that God transformed me because I needed to be transformed. In and of myself, it would have gone on for years and years and years. I might still be estranged from my dad. We're no longer estranged. This afternoon, I'll talk to him on the phone. I'll tell him I'll talk about this time. We have a relationship of love. He's going to come out here at the end of February when you get to see him. But it's been incremental steps of God helping me understand how to love him and God working in him, transforming him into who he wants him to be. And although certainly in our text this morning we're thinking about some different things about loving your enemies, I certainly know for myself there are some takeaways in my relationship with my father. The question that we pose for ourselves this morning is where in our lives are our enemies? Where are the places where we need to engage with the work of God and the command of Christ here in the book of Luke in such a way that we can also experience the blessings that are promised here? In fact, by the end of this morning's message, I expect to give you one of my strongest ever statements in all my years of preaching here about what the gospel is. As we dig into God's word and discover what he has for us, as we learn to love our enemies, let's ask for his blessing and his presence in our time. Father, be present. In Christ's name, I ask that you transform our hearts and our minds. Soften us up to what it is that you want to say to us. I pray in Jesus' name that our hearts are fertile ground for the transforming movement of your grace and your love and your mercy as we love those who are against us. Love those who we're angry with. Love those who are hurting us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear those places where this work needs to be done. Help us to understand that it, maybe it's not an ethereal activity. In fact, it's a very tangible practical activity that we can live into in such a way that we can learn and grow and become more like you are. And in that, Lord, that your kingdom might grow, the power of your mercy and your grace might be shown in what can be very difficult situations. We pray, Lord, that you do your work. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me. We're looking at Luke chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third gospel. It's about a third of the way from the back of your Bible. 
looking at chapter 6. Last week, we looked at verses 17 through 26, and this morning, we're going to continue on by looking through 27 through 36. We're going to begin with the first two verses. And it says this there, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, out of that opening text, we need to understand how this connects to the previous text. Last week, we talked at length about those who persecute you. In fact, Jesus, I think, very much so, is setting up this text by giving us an idea of who would be our enemies, those who hate us, those who hate you, those who criticize you, those who critique you. And so for us to have that understanding this morning, to think through in our lives, okay, who does that describe? And the reality of it is is that it can describe certainly other things that are antithetical to Christianity. We could say, oh, you know, there are people who are Muslims in this world who are our enemies. And that certainly could be the case. It could be people who are materialists and who live in this world and sort of live into the values of this world and see um, the Christian view of, of sacrifice, of generosity, of giving up yourself for the sake of the gospel and say, oh, they're our enemies because their teaching is different. But when we begin to think about those who are critical of us, that can be any number of different things. Perhaps you have a mother-in-law who is critical of you. Is that possible? Anybody? Some of you are fearful of that because your mother-in-law is sitting in this room. I get it. What about your spouse? Would you say there have been moments when your spouse has been your enemy? Your parents? Children? People at work? People at work that seem to be on the other side of almost everything and are nothing but stress and challenge for you. The reality of it is, yes, we're thinking about more an ethereal who is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but asking also the question, who in our lives exhibit enemy-like behavior? Because if that's the case, then our enemies become redefined a little bit, which means that our activity of loving our enemies becomes redefined. Who is it that we are to love? In essence, we're being called here to love those who are harder to love. Anybody know someone who's hard to love in your life? Some of you are like ready to throw your arm out, your shoulder out. You know, a lot of people. It's hard to love some people because of what they've done, who they are, how they behave. And here the gospel is calling us to live in a relationship with love with them. Now again, a reminder, this is right at the beginning of Christ's ministry. We're in Luke chapter 6. We're not in Luke chapter 18. We're right at the start of when Christ is setting stuff up for his ministry and how he is going to be involved in the Jewish people among Israel. 
he's starting to set up already right from the beginning that there are going to be people whom you are going to engage with who are going to create a level of conflict with you who are going to seek to destroy you even, or at least put you down and, and, and cause you to do things that you don't want to do for their sake. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. It's a prophetic word that Jesus is giving to his people, because that's exactly what occurs in the coming months and years of Christ's ministry. And he's saying right from the beginning of his ministry, guess what? When that happens, love. Love them. He's starting really with this ethereal idea of love. Now, I'm going to say this. It's probably easy for us to live on that level, right? Love. We can do these things. But to those who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do those who do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. There's nothing in those two verses that I'm sitting there going, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can, I can pray for the Muslims of this world who would be antithetical to Christianity or living into things like jihad and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, very conservative Islamic law that seeks to destroy anybody who is not a Muslim. I, I can pray for those people. I can even ask God's blessing upon them. I can pray for the materialists of the world. I can do that. So on this ethereal level, I'm like, yeah, I'm down. I'm good, God. We're all right. But Christ challenges us. He continues. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat. Do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Gets a little harder, doesn't it? It's no longer on this ethereal, sort of conceptual level of love, pray, do not curse. Now it's, if they slap, i got to turn the other cheek. Are you kidding me? Any one of you who knows, I'm like a, a, I'm, I'm a I get fired up. I'm fired up just a bit. Someone slaps me, dare you, come after church, slap me. Well, after this message, we'll see. It might be different. But You know what bugs me? There's going to be someone who does it. There's going to be somebody who does it, and they're going to ask, they're going to look at me like, what are you going to do now, buddy? I'm so dumb sometimes. We're in this place where it's no longer just this idea of loving. It's the tangible stuff. How is it that we are going to tangibly love those who hate us? Let me give you an example. It's a fairly easy one. How many of you have gotten fired up by social media posts that you disagree with? (laughs) Some of you are, again, throwing out your arm. How many of you have watched news that you've seen and it's upset you because you disagree with it? How many of you watched political stuff and you've got fired up because you disagree with it? So there we are. What's the tangible in that? How do we live into those moments? 
Do we allow ourselves to get fired up? And I'm one of those people that will do that. It doesn't take much for me to go from DEFCON 3 to DEFCON 9 with my emotion and my passion because I allow myself to live into that moment of being fired up to the point where I'm angry and seething and ready to go. And instead, Christ is calling us to this completely reversed idea. Remember last time I talked about the great reversal, right? Jesus says to his people, the things that the world tells you, the things that culture will say to you, I reverse those things. And instead of you doing what the world tells you to do, do what it is that I tell you to do, which is completely different. In this context, he's saying to us, instead of getting fired up or upset or ready to go, Pray for them. But don't just pray because here's how we do that. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Dear Lord, let a piano fall on their head. Bless them. Dear Father, may you bear fruit in their lives in powerful ways that the longings of their heart may be fulfilled according to your glory and your will. To pray God's blessing for those who are Republican or Democrat on the other side of the aisle from you. To pray for the Muslims or the Jews or the Hindus or whoever is in a different religious camp than you are. And to pray for those whom God has shown you are critical and hurtful and painful painful in your life. One of the things that changed for me with my father was when I could begin to pray blessing for him. When I could get to that place of praying that God would show up in my father's life in powerful ways and transform his life for God's glory and in the beauty that my father could be a testimony of how good that God is. When I could do that, I began to see my father differently. That's where I could begin to love him. And for us to ask that question for all. Who is it that is hard for you to pray that prayer for? And then perhaps you begin to pray it. His command here is not just about sentiment. Sentiment for many of us is easy. It's about action. About doing what it is that he calls us to do. We'll see by the end of the text the blessing comes. I don't know that we have a better example in the last hundred years in our Christian world of living this out than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in the 20s and 30s and into the 40s who stood for the love of Jesus Christ and the transformation of the gospel's power among his people. Now, imagine you are in Germany in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, how hard that might be to live into that in a biblical sense. He was a person who decided very early on that the whole idea of national socialism, which ultimately gave rise to, be, to the Nazi party, was absolutely antithetical to the gospel. These were people who were enemies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he stood up to them. 
In fact, he's a person who wrote some of the greatest work ever that we have in the tradition of the church of how it is that you live as a Christian in a world that seems overtly not Christian. But one of the things that you will read over and over again in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings is what it means to love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. And he paid the price for it. Because, friends, I'm not, I'm not asking you, the scriptures are not asking you towards something that is easy this morning. Loving your enemies has a cost. It means that you and I give up the right to be right or to win. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave up to that, that right to the point where he was eventually imprisoned. He was imprisoned and he eventually died. In part because of his captivity. But all the while, while he was in prison, he continued to write. He continued to share. He continued to live into what it meant to love your enemies. And I believe very strongly that he is part of the reason why there, are, there were so many people who were in Germany and elsewhere who realized the evil of Nazism. There were people in Germany who began to stand with him, others who began to confront Nazism, and certainly people around the world. To this day, he has books, he has writings, he has things that you can read that will inspire you to understand better how it is that you love your enemies, how you bless those who curse you. He gave us an example of how to do this in perhaps one of the most difficult times to do it. And that's really one of the questions that we have. When, we, when loving our enemies is easy, is it really the fullness of the command? Let me, let, me, let me say it this way. Does anybody recognize verse 31? What does verse 31 say? Somebody read it out. What is that called? What do we call that? Golden rule, right? Notice here that the golden rule doesn't come out of an easy place, right? We're not talking about do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not about caring for somebody and loving somebody who's relatively positive to us or even neutral towards us. This, this command, this golden rule comes out of specifically loving people who hate and our enemies. I think oftentimes we think do unto others as you would have them do unto you only implies until it gets hard. But in fact, we're seeing here it starts when it gets hard. The text continues, verse 32 through 34. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you have, expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Christ here is confronting a human compulsion only to love others easily. Love those who are easy to love. It's easy to love puppies. 
It's easy to love people who are like us. It's easy to love people whom we easily get along with. It's easy to love people, easier at least, people who have the same perspective, the same viewpoint, live in some level of agreement with us. But Christ is calling us here not to live as the sinners live. Notice that, that, that challenging that, that, that challenge there. He's really saying, if that's what you and I do, guess who you're equal to? You're equal to the world. You're equal to everyone else. And when Christ calls us to live in the world, but not of the world, he's calling us to live in places that are the great reversal, not like the world does. For us to only love easily is a sign of our continued need for God's grace, transformation, and Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, you ready? Because it gets harder. The text continues. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, it starts with love your enemies, the ethereal. You got to pray for them. You got to, you got to, you know, don't slap them back. If they slap you, get into the tangible. But now it says again, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Here Christ is moving us past the ethereal, past the tangible, to the sacrificial. You hearing me here? This is why this is so very, very important. To give up yourself for your enemies. To be willing to say that I will love my enemies beyond myself. Now, thinking about that with those people in your life who are critical, a mother-in-law, a family member, a spouse, give up yourself that that person might experience a greater blessing than you do. Here's my strong statement about this command. I believe that this command is the at absolutely central focus to the gospel. I believe that this command to love your enemies in tangible and sacrificial ways is the absolute heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would I believe that? Look at the last verse, last two verses. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because he is what? Kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Who are we talking about here? Jesus is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Let's go back to a couple weeks ago when we said, Who are we before we know the grace of Jesus Christ? We are enemies of God. We are enemies of God until we know the grace of Jesus Christ. 
God is calling us here. Christ is calling us here to live exactly as he has lived out his relationship with us. Christ, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit was able and is able to love their enemies. Who is that? That's me. That's grace. While I was still yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Sacrifice. This is the heart of the gospel message. And friends, that calls us to a deeper level of love even than for our enemies. It is the testimony that is strongest of the Christian faith and of the gospel and of his church. If we cannot love our enemies, if we get in fights with those who persecute us, if we become people who seek to defend ourselves so strongly that we are not willing to sacrifice for the sake of our enemies, we are living antithetical to who Christ is and what he has called us to be. I'm saying that at the beginning of this year, because this year ahead has it, it has all of that. We see the fights, we see the disagreements, we see the lines being drawn, we see the walls going up, we see the battle lines drawn, and in every one, every way, it seems like people are just getting ready to reload for the next battle, whatever that battle is. We are a culture that has sought to seek, you know, live into these diametrically opposed views, and all we do in the middle is fight. And Christ calls us to something different. You know what he's calling us to? He's calling us to the gospel. He's calling us to live into love in this space right here. He's calling us to live into tangible means of loving our enemies in this space right here. He's calling us to live, hear me here, sacrificially for the enemies that we have. So what does that mean? Well, here's what it means maybe on a sort of a a broader level. For us to be people who pray for the Muslim communities of this world, the Hindu communities of this world, the Jewish communities of this world, whatever other religious, the religious other, the materialists of this world, for us to pray and not just pray, dear God, be with them. No, pray blessing. God, do your work among them that you might be glorified. Do your work among them that their lives might be full of the beauty of your creativity in doing your stuff in their world. What else does it mean? Well, it means that whoever the other is politically, that you pray for the other. For you to be in prayer for the leaders of every party, every group, every, every whatever. And not just praying, dear God, may a piano fall on their head. No, pray, God be present, bless multiply, protect their families, guard their hearts, enrich all good things in their lives. But it also means that you and your mother-in-law live differently. You and your spouse live differently. That you, instead of getting your hackles up, getting upset, getting angry, wanting to make it even, even in this last couple of weeks, we had a couple of things in our home that we were just like, ah, that's not fair. We want to make it even. 
We want to we let them know how we feel. We want to make sure that if they've done that to us, that we're going to do that to them. Love. Turn the other cheek. Bless. And finally, sacrifice for the sake of the other. You know what, friends? Um, that's why being a follower of Jesus ain't easy. If somebody ever sold you a bill of goods when you walked into a church and said, follow Jesus, life is going to be great. Life is going to be perfect. All you're going to know is good things. They've been selling you a bill of goods. Because following Jesus, especially when we think about sacrificing to those who hate us, I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a good marketing idea for a church. And yet that's exactly what we're called to because the gospel is that way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is such that Jesus said, while you were my enemy, I loved you. And if we're going to live into the fullness of the power of God in our community, in our life, in our city, in our state, and in our country, and in our world, for us to be able to say, while you were still my enemy, I gave myself up for you. That's the power of the gospel. And who knows what can happen when the power of the gospel is loosed in the church. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I ask that you open our hearts and our minds to understand more deeply what it means to love our enemies. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear who those people are, who it is that we hold animosity towards. Who is it that we need to love? Who is it that we need to bless? Who is it that we need to give sacrificially towards that they might experience the power of your blessing and your presence? Father, help us to give up our need to be right, our need to win, our need to make sure everyone understands where we stand so that they can respect what we stand for. Instead, Lord, help us to just let you do your work. We don't have to defend the gospel. You're doing that. You've called us not to defend it, just live it out. Father, in living out what it means to love our enemies, we're living as you have lived with us, and your love for us has power. May we be able to experience that same power as the world around us sees us loving in difficulty, in challenge, in hard things. Father, may the gospel May the truth that you have given yourself for us, even while we were sinners, take enough root in our hearts and in our lives that we can see the world around us differently. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.